All right, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Yeah, we're doing good. We awake, even though we lost an hour of sleep. We feeling okay? All right, cool. Well, thank you, Julianne, for the introduction. Um, as Julianne mentioned, my name is Michael Leto, and if you don't know who I am, uh, I'm the youth director here at the church. Now, I've been the youth director for uh, about eight months now, which I know isn't very long, but even in that time, there's, there's a lot of things I've learned about myself. There's a lot of things I've learned through leadership, and I think when you're in leadership, uh, what happens is your weaknesses get exposed. And this is a good thing, because now you know what to work on, right? And so for me, these past eight months, some weaknesses in my leadership, in me, have been revealed to me. And one of those weaknesses, one of those skills that I'm trying to work on is the skill of delegation. To delegate means to entrust a responsibility to someone else. Now, I don't know if any of you here can relate to me, but I kind of just like to do everything myself. If I know how to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not really one to naturally go and give a task to someone or ask someone for help. I'd rather just do it by myself. Now, part of this is kind of like my desire for control. I like to have control just a little bit. I'm aware of this in my personality. And my personality, it's, I don't know, I crave competency. I need to know how to do things. I really desire how to do things. And if I know how to do something, why would I ask anyone to help me? If I know how to do something, I'm just going to do it myself. And I think on some level, we can all kind of find ourselves in this position. We can all find ourselves carrying too much weight on our shoulders. We can all find ourselves kind of taking on too much responsibility for ourselves, not letting other people in, not letting people in to help you, not letting God and your heavenly father to help you. I think we can all find ourselves in this position. Now today we are in part two of a series called Effective where we are talking about how to build a life of fruitfulness. And Pastor Brent started us off last week. So if you missed that, you can go back on our website, on our YouTube page, and check that out. But Pastor Brent mentioned this last week, but we all should want to live effective lives. And I think we do. I think everyone here has a desire to be effective in their life. No one here, I'm willing to bet, is okay if their life doesn't mean anything. If... You can settle with the fact that your words don't matter, your actions don't matter, nothing you do matters, how you interact with other people, how you speak to other people doesn't matter, then you don't need to live an effective life. Because what's the point? If there's no point to any of it, you don't really need to be effective. But I don't think any of you believe that. I think you all believe to some degree or another, even if you're not consciously thinking of it, that your life matters, that you being here matters, the way you talk to other people matters. But the thing is, because we want to be effective, this desire of effectiveness is kind of in us, we find ourselves trying to prove our worth. We prove our worth through different things. We prove our worth by accomplishing tasks, by getting things done, by making things happen and holding on to the credit with dear life. We want people to know that we've done things we have resumes, we have a list of accomplishments, we hang our accomplishments on the wall like trophies, just to show that we've done something, just to show that our life means something. We hold on to these things because these, to us, feel like proof of effectiveness. They feel like the proof of living an effective life. I've noticed an attitude in others and in myself over time that says, I gotta say more, I gotta do more, I gotta be 
more. And I'm going to do it by myself. But here's the thing. And I think you know this. But you can only get so far on your own. Eventually, you hit a roadblock because you're by yourself. Eventually, you come to a door that you can't open on your own. And you find yourself in need of some help. So this week, like I said, we're in week two of this series. And if you're taking notes today, I've titled this message, Help. Help. Help is something that we all need. Whether we want to admit it or not. Whether we want to get there. Some of us, it's harder to admit than others. That we need help in life. That we need other people in life. That we need our Heavenly Father to help us. But we all need help. And I think part of the reason why it's so difficult for some of us to kind of accept this fact that we need help is that even from a young age, we have fallen into believing the lie of self-sufficiency. The lie of self-sufficiency. This originates with Adam and Eve, and it is present in childhood. It's why a child might knock their parents' hand away when they try to help them tie their shoe, even though they don't know how to tie a bow. We think we're self-sufficient. We think that we don't need anyone else's help. We have everything we need. I have everything I need. I am everything I need to be. I don't need any other help. I don't need anything external kind of giving me some life. I am good. I'm completely self-sufficient. But the law of creation destroys this lie. If there is creation, then the thing that is created needs to be dependent on the creator. If you plant a flower in your garden and you refuse to water or weed that flower, that flower will die because you planted that flower. That flower exists because you made it so. But if you don't take care of it, if you don't hold on to your responsibility as its creator, that flower will die. And similarly, we were created. We were created by God and therefore we were made, we were built to be dependent. We were built to be dependent on our heavenly father. A moment ago, I spoke about how in my, own, in my own leadership, I find it hard to give tasks away to other people. I just want to do everything myself. I want to get things done on my own. Now, in my immaturity, I labeled that as servanthood. But through my leadership, it's been revealed to me as pride. Like, I don't want to let go of things. I want people to know that I've done things. I want people to look at my life and say, yeah, he's accomplished. He's done some things. He has a good resume. He looks like he's living an effective life. So I wonder for us, if we could just consider this, if you could consider this for yourself, could it be possible that our pride has allowed us to believe that too much rests on our ability to perform? Could it be possible that our pride has actually gotten in our way, that we have gotten in our own way? And could it be possible that our inability or our lack of desire to ask for or accept help is actually blocking the road to fruitfulness? Could that be possible? Now, we're all called to live effective lives. Every single one of you here, everyone watching online, you are called to live an effective life. But you have to know that you can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. But thankfully... We don't have to. In the Gospel of John, Jesus kind of gives some word pictures. He gives some word pictures to his disciples to describe who he is. These are called the seven 
I am statements. The seven I am statements. And through these statements, Jesus refers back to Old Testament imagery and language that his disciples would have been familiar with. And he's trying to communicate who he is, that he's connected to the Father, that he is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. And I want us to read the seventh and final I am statement together. Now, I love this passage, but I want us to try and hear this from the disciples' point of view. Because we can read this, and it can make sense to us. We can understand it. But there's something very powerful about Jesus speaking these words to his disciples. Because his disciples would be very familiar with what Jesus is referencing here. So let's read this in John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Jesus is saying he is the true vine. Now this is a loaded statement. The disciples are aware of this because Jesus referencing the vine, vine imagery, vine language was used throughout the Old Testament. And it was always used to describe Israel. It was always used to describe the people of God. The people of God that were planted by God to do good work, to produce good fruit. And every time in the Old Testament that vine imagery is used, it's always used negatively. It's always used to say that Israel was planted, the people of God were planted, and they did not produce fruit. They failed. And so Jesus coming in and saying, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. I'm connected to God the father. He's working through me. He's taking care of me. I am the true vine. He's saying to his disciples, I have come to be what you cannot be. I have come to fulfill what you cannot fulfill. Where your failure is, I am entering in. He's entering this banner of failure that has been laid before him. And he's saying, I got this. Don't worry. I can do what you cannot do. And by now, the disciples are on the edge of their seat waiting for what Jesus is going to say next. And he continues. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, the disciples might want to take a step back for a second and think, this doesn't really add up. If I'm to be fruitful, if God will enable me to be fruitful, shouldn't I like, be blessed or something? I don't want to be pruned if I'm going to be fruitful. If, Jesus, you're the true vine, can't you like, take my pain away? Can't you take my difficulties away? But Jesus says, no, we're, we have to deal with these things. There are struggles that are going to happen. There are going to be roadblocks that you're going to hit. And you know this from your experience. Whenever you hit a roadblock in life, whenever you come to a situation that you can't handle on your own, it's a reminder that you cannot do life alone. You can't live in complete autonomy because you are not self-sufficient. You need other people. You need your creator. You need to be dependent. And those roadblocks in life, those struggles that we face are reminders of our need for divine help throughout life. Now, verse 3, he goes on, he says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are already clean. This is such a powerful statement, and the disciples don't even realize why. They might appreciate this statement, the sentiment, but Jesus knows something that they don't know yet. Jesus knows that his disciples, in just a short while, will disperse will turn their backs on him. Peter specifically, who stays rooted in his walk with Jesus, says, Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never 
forsake you. I will never turn my back on you. Jesus says, you will though. You will. You will deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I won't. I won't do that. I will never do that to you. And of course, he does. And he does, he does it bad. With cursed, filled lips, Peter tells them, I do not know this man. Do not associate me with this Jesus. If there's levels to betrayal, this is a bad one. Peter betrayed Jesus in his worst time, in his darkest hour. And Jesus knew this would happen. This isn't a surprise to him, but even then, before all of that happens, knowing that it will happen, Jesus says to him, you are already clean. Jesus says to his disciples, you are already clean. And I think for us, we need to take this to heart. We need to be more gracious on ourselves. We need to allow ourselves, God, to pour his grace on us. If Jesus can forgive the people that turned his back on him, he can forgive you. Don't be so hard on yourself for the things that you've done, for the mistakes that you've made. His grace is made available to you. We don't need to clean ourselves up before going to Jesus. We don't need to fix ourselves. We don't need to, to fix the things that are wrong with us before we enter into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, no, I have come to be what you cannot be. Come and follow me. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. In verse 4, Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. A branch isolated from its source of life cannot bear fruit. That's obvious. But the thing is, our job as Jesus followers, our job as Christians, is not actually to produce fruit. It's not even our responsibility to produce fruit in our lives. Our job is to remain in Jesus. Our job is to remain in our relationship with him, make sure we're being consistent with our pursuit of who Jesus is. And fruitfulness is a byproduct of that. Fruitfulness will happen out of your relationship with Jesus. And this is a message of the gospel. The gospel doesn't say, do so you can be approved. The gospel says, love, and therefore, you'll do. Out of your love, out of your relationship with Jesus, your life will produce fruit. And in verse 5, Jesus reiterates, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, I have some branches here. These are just branches that I grab outside and put on this display. These branches are not connected to anything. They don't have their source of life. So if all of us here at the City Church, we got together, we worked really hard, we still could not cause these branches to produce fruit because they don't have what they need. They don't have their source of life. So no matter how much effort we put in, no matter how much work we do, we cannot cause these branches to produce fruit. That should be obvious. Now what we could do, if we chose to, if we wanted to, is we could kind of fake it a little bit. We could add artificial fruit to it. We could tape something to it, or we could kind of fakely attach something to it. But, I mean, 
that's not selling anyone, is it? That looks comical. That looks fake. That's not real fruit. That's fake fruit. And as silly as this looks, this is how ridiculous it is when we try to live our life apart from God. When we try to do things on our own, when we go our own way. This is how ridiculous it looks. We are just creating fruit. We're putting fruit on fake branches, fake fruit on branches, just to say that we have something. Just to show that we've got something. Because we just want to have something to show. This comes back to Adam and Eve. For some reason, we think we know better than God. We think we can go our own way. Even Adam and Eve, who were created by God and knew they were created by God, God said, do this. And they said, yeah, but how about this? Let's do this instead. And we do the same thing. Even if we are connected with Jesus, even if we have a relationship with Jesus, we go our own way. God might be calling us to do one thing, to change this and that. But we want to go this way because we know that if we do this, then X, Y, Z will happen. And we, at least we have some control over that. So we think. Because I think on some level we all want a little bit of control in our life. But Jesus says, stop with this. This fake fruit. Don't do this anymore. I have so much more for you. Jesus is offering us full course meals. But we settle for happy meals and we wonder why we're still hungry. He's giving us more. He's making more available to us. It's fully available to us. We just need to accept it. In verse 6, he gives us a warning. Jesus gives us a warning. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. To not remain in Jesus can be as simple as just believing in him. Believing in Jesus is actually not enough. Jesus didn't only ask us to believe in him. Jesus asked us partly to believe in him, but he wants us to take a step further. He wants us to follow him. Jesus invites us along. He wants us to walk with him down the road. He wants us to live our lives with him, to experience life with him. Jesus says, come along, follow me. I will show you the ways of life. I will show you how to live. And so we need to actively remain in our relationship with Jesus rather than just simply believing in him. In verse 7, he continues, he says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If we do stay connected with Jesus, if we are connected to the vine, then our hearts will be aligned with his. And we will see that naturally, our lives will produce fruit. That we will live effective lives. Not because we tried so hard. Not because, look at all these things I've done. Look at all these things I've accomplished. Look at how good I am. But because we are in relationship with Jesus and out of that fruit will come our last verse it says this is to my father's glory Jesus says that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples it's the will of God that we would be effective with our lives that we would bear fruit but the onus is not on us the responsibility is not on us to bear fruit the responsibility is for us to remain in Jesus. And be careful how you read that scripture because you can get it backwards. We can think that we have to bear fruit in order to follow Jesus. But bearing fruit is not a prerequisite for following Jesus. 
We don't need to come to Jesus and say, hey, look at what I've done. Look at all these hours that I've served. Look at all these people that I've helped. Now can I follow you, Jesus? No, that, that doesn't matter. Jesus says, follow me no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened in your past, no matter what you're dealing with right now, come and follow me and you will bear fruit in your life. When we become his disciples, when we follow him, our lives will produce fruit. So what is Jesus saying here through these scriptures? He's saying that I have come to be what you cannot be. I have come to fulfill what you cannot fulfill. Your life is not your own. You are not self-sufficient. You have a creator. And if you want to live an effective life, you need to live in complete dependence on your creator. And put more succinctly, if you want to live an effective life, accept the help. If you want to live an effective life, accept the help. If you want to bear fruit, accept the help. God wants to help you. God wants to be in your life, in the middle of it, in the thick of it, in everything. He wants to help you bear fruit. He's placed a desire, a call on your life to be effective in your life, in your homes, in your families, in your schools, at your jobs. He just wants you to allow him to help you. But it's so hard for us to allow people to help us. But you can't be effective on your own. That's why he came and said, declared himself the true vine, because we need him. We need him to help us. That's why Jesus came to us instead of us making making us work to go to him. We don't have to climb the mountain to find God. God came down to us and said, I got this. Let me help you. Let me be here for you. The type of fruitfulness that God desires from us is not dependent on our work. It's not dependent on our efforts or our consistency. The type of fruitfulness that God desires from our lives is dependent on our awareness of our need for God's help and our willingness to accept it. The type of fruitfulness that God desires from us is dependent on our awareness of our need for God's help and our willingness to accept it. It's a very simple statement, but it's hard to live out because we have to come to a place where we realize that we can't do this by ourselves, that we need help and we have to allow Jesus to help us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by what? We are saved by grace. Not by consistency. Not by excellence. Not by performance. We are saved only by grace. We are saved because God made it so. That's it. And so when we try to put in work, we realize that it's, it's in vain because he has already done the work for us. The law of creation says that we have been created by God and therefore we were built to be dependent on him. And if you live your life without this dependence, then you will always be less than what he has called you to be. You need to rely on your heavenly father. If we did not make ourselves, how can we expect to save ourselves? So if we remain in Jesus, we will find ourselves more and more desiring his presence, more and more wanting to be with him, and more and more realizing how much we need Jesus. And remaining in Jesus, it requires more than just stagnant belief. It's not just saying, I believe in you, and that's it. 
It's actively disciplining yourself to follow him. So if I were to issue a challenge for you, this is a good thing to write down. If you only write down one thing, my challenge for you would be this. Discover what stirs your affection for Jesus and what robs you of it. Discover what stirs your affection for Jesus and what robs you of it. For all of us, what stirs our affection is worship, prayer, and scripture. That's baseline. That's essential for all of us. But beyond that, there's more nuance involved. Beyond that, we're all over the map because we all live different lives. You all have different things going on. You have different jobs, different home situations, different families, but we all live our lives in some way or another. And throughout the day that we live, we can find things that stir our affection for Jesus and we can find things that rob our affection of Jesus. When I think about myself personally, um, I think I love to read fiction. I love stories and stories draw me closer to God because as I'm reading fiction, I'm kind of seeing a different perspective. Even though it's made up, I'm looking into a different world. And in reality, it helps me connect with other people. It builds my empathy. It helps me connect with other people and understand people better, which I believe is part of the heart of God. But for some of you, if you never see another book again in your life, you're good, right? Because we're wired differently. That works for me. It doesn't work for you. Waking up early really works for some people. Some people love to get up at 5.30 a.m., spend time with Jesus, but it doesn't say that in the Bible. Some of you really love the nighttime, and that works for you. We're wired differently. And so find what, what stirs your affection for Jesus. And when I think of what robs it of, of my affection for Jesus, I'll be honest, the first thing that comes to mind is driving. I hate driving so much. And I know hate is a strong word, but I just got to be honest. I despise driving so much. I love all of you, but I love you all a lot less when you're on the road. <laughs> driving is so rough. And my fiance lives an hour away from me. So I don't know, maybe God is trying to teach me something with this. And practically speaking, I can't just stop driving, right? I have a job and I have things that I got to do. But the awareness is important. Your awareness is key. Self-awareness is a very powerful thing. And for me to be aware that when I'm driving, I feel a little different. <laughs> when I'm driving, I'm a little more on edge. When I'm driving, maybe I'm not so nice to people that I can't see or can't interact with. There's something there for me to work on, right? This, this awareness. And that's why this challenge is so easy for us. It's hard to implement, but it's easy for us to kind of take because you don't actually have to change anything. Just build your awareness throughout your day. What are the things that you are doing that stirs your affection for Jesus? What are the things you are doing that robs your affection of Jesus? Figure out what those things are. And if you can, do more of the things that stir your affection for him. And out of that, you will build a stronger relationship with him. And the purpose of this is so that we, we build an everyday habit of remaining in Jesus. And out of that, we will build an everyday faith. Once you realize how powerful the presence of Jesus is in your life, once you realize how much you need him, you realize even with more clarity how much you need him. Because once you have Jesus in your life, once you remain in relationship with him, you realize how much you needed him all along. At City Youth uh, on Fridays, 
uh, we, we meet every Friday at 7 p.m. And I, I come a little bit early just to kind of prepare the room and set things up. And I always find myself praying. I find myself praying for the night, praying for the students, praying for the leaders. And I always end up in a space. It's just a natural moment of, of prayer for me where I just pray to God. It's an honest prayer that says, God, please be here. Please be here, God. If you are not here, this is all for nothing. God, if you are not with me as I lead, if you are not with the leaders as they speak to students, if you are not with the students as they learn about you, none of this is worth it. I have a complete dependence. It's just, it's in me because I realize that if God wasn't here, then I couldn't do any of this. If God wasn't with me, I couldn't lead these students. I love leading your students. I love all of our junior high or senior high students. I can't do it without God. This is good news for you. You don't want me to do it without God. (laughs) With God, everything is better. And so as I'm leading these students, I realize that I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in this ministry. And so out of that, my awareness of my need for him grows. And as I'm working on the skill of delegation, as I'm learning how to delegate tasks to leaders, I'm also learning in an even greater sense the importance of delegating my life to Jesus. To delegate your life to Jesus is just to give back to God what's already His. He created you. He made you. You exist. You are here because of Him. But some of us, we're just holding on to our lives like we're self-sufficient. Like I have everything I need. I actually don't need God. I don't need anything else but give it back to him. I challenge you to give it back to him. Give your life back to Jesus. It's already his. You can trust him with your life. He can handle it. What would it look like for us to lay down our pride and accept the fact that we need God's grace, that we need God's help in our lives? What would that look like for us? You cannot bear fruit on your own, but why would you want to? You were created to be dependent and God welcomes your dependency with his grace. So accept the help. Now in a moment, we're gonna pray and I wonder if any of you here or anyone watching online is kind of hearing this idea for the first time, this idea that Jesus invites you to follow him, that Jesus doesn't ask you for anything before following him, that Jesus has already made you clean You don't have to clean yourself up before going to him. And maybe you don't know about the whole God thing, the whole Jesus thing. You're not sure where you are on all that. But this idea of Jesus asking you to follow him, inviting you to follow him, it seems good to you. And maybe you want to start that journey of faith today. We're going to pray for you. And as well, maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you used to believe in God, but you don't really anymore. Maybe you had a bad church experience. Maybe something happened in your family. You don't really follow God anymore. And you want to come back. You want to get back on the road with Jesus. The invitation is the same for you. Jesus invites you along. And as we all pray, let's just remember that God created us to be dependent. God makes his grace and his help available to us. So let's accept it. Let's pray today. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your truths that you have planted in our hearts. I pray that you would cement them in our hearts as we leave this place today, God. 
I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your help. We just accept that right now, God. We know that if we want to live effective lives, we need to rely completely on you. We need to have complete dependence on you, Jesus. So we just thank you for that right now. We pray that as we leave this place, we know that we, as we remain in our relationship with you, our lives will produce fruit. You will work in and through us, God. We pray for anyone here, anyone watching online who might be considering following you today. I pray that you would give them the courage to step out in faith and follow you. Give them an image of you holding out your hand and saying, come and follow me. That's all it is. It's an invitation to follow you, God. And I pray for anyone who's taking that step today, that they would be blessed and you would help them along the journey. And I pray for anyone who might be returning to faith today, who may have stepped away but is coming back now. This invitation is the same for them. You welcome them back in, God. We thank you for your mercy, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, listen, if that was you today, if you um, accepted Jesus, if you decided to follow Jesus today, we want to know about it because we just want to celebrate with you. So if you're in the room, you can meet us at the info desk after service. Someone will be there to provide some materials for you to help you along your journey of faith. And if you're watching online, you can email us at info at the citychurch.ca and someone will reach out to you. All right, well, did we have a good morning in church today? Great. Well, Pastor Brent will be back next week at 9 and 11 a.m. for a part three of our series, Effective. Thank you for being in church today. You are dismissed.